Hello, faithful listeners and beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Healing Racism in Schools. It's your host, Sharla Stevens and the Ancestors. Um, and it has been an interesting time in the U.S. I'm really grateful that Biden and Harris won the election. And yay, right? Harris is a Howard alumni. I went to Howard University, so nice to see my college, my historically black college in the White House all day. Love that, feeling good. I love that my daughter and, and even myself gets to look at a black woman or a mixed black woman um, in the White House telling people, you know, shut the hell up, or I'm speaking, or this is what I think, or, you know, I mean, I love it. She's not a first lady. She ain't somebody's wifey. She ain't somebody's arm piece. She's here. Take me seriously, right? Like, I got something to say. I got opinions. I love an opinionated woman. Oh, my God, I love an opinion, opinionated woman, especially, like, a well-dressed, like, beautiful opinionated woman. Like, shut your mouth. That's my favorite. I mean, that's my aspiration. Like, that's who I hope I am in the world. So, yes, yes. Not to say Right. Notwithstanding, like I'm, I'm not ignoring that I have issues with with um, something she's done as a prosecutor. Right. She's from the Bay. And from my understanding, you know, she was not a friend to black men while she was here. So I don't I don't delusion myself with thinking that any person working for the system, um, especially that deeply for this, like you, you really work for them. You, you right. You the vice president of the United States. Um I don't delusion myself into thinking that they are, they're not going to be upholding or sustaining uh, white supremacy. But the difference is for me with Biden and, and Harris versus those other people who's, who shall not be named on my podcast um, is I hopefully can work with you. I, I think they're all racist. Absolutely. They're all upholding white supremacy. It's the foundation of our country. The, I, I've heard the White House was called the White House. They painted white specifically in contrast to black people and letting them know these are the people we expect to be in these doors. And it historically that has been the case where it has been, you know, just white on white on white on white on white on white on white. And so I'm thrilled if for nothing else, the visual of a brown woman, you know, um, being taken seriously, uh, standing standing as a, as a peer, as equal to essentially to this um, this white man. And Biden, that's like, look, Biden has said, I mean, it, 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 when it comes to all of them, right? So number 45, the current orange man in the White House, Biden, and even beloved Bernie Sanders, they're all freaking racist to me. All of them, every single one, okay? Like I know that we, and Bernie, we trust, like he had some great ideas and and you can still have great ideas and be racist. Like there's a lot of people with great ideas who are racist. Um, it's not like racist just means that you're a terrible person. It's a, it's a byproduct of living in a country founded on white supremacy. So of course, like these are old white men, like, of course they're racist. It's just to what degree? And are you willing to look at it, explore it? You know, are you willing to do something about it, heal it, deal with it? Or are you in complete denial talking about your, you know, I'm the least racist person in the room. Um, can I work with you or not? How life-threatening how, how threatening are you, are you to my life is, is my question when I think about these people. So I'm not deluding myself into thinking like, oh, Biden and Harris are in office, like all is well. No, all, all wasn't well when Obama was in office. Like all will never be well. You know what I mean? We always have work to do. Um, but this could have been a very different 
podcast, you know, <laughs> for a lot of us, it was like, oh, am I staying in the country or not? Like, we'll find out, you know, November, whatever it was, third or second, you know, to 2020. So um, anyway, I'm grateful for that. And we will see whether or not I, I, I just assume, but I don't know if Biden's going to overturn the executive order um, that, that Trump, uh, I said his name, ah, that the orange man put in place. Um, cutting down federal funds for people who were doing anti-racism work. So hopefully you already know about this because you're already well-informed, my beautiful, intelligent audience. But if you don't know, um, the orange man put an executive order in place where, yeah, a lot of these like schools or other institutions that are, I don't know, uh, you know, dependent on federal funds would feel basically they have to put a muzzle on any type of anti-racist training or anything that's going to mention white privilege or white supremacy, et cetera. So um, we'll see if that is overturned. It better be. But we still have work to do. We still have work to do. I'm going to um, talk about something a little bit, little bit different, but it's still related. Because one thing that I'm just, I'm, I, I am more and more passionate about and I really just want to give to the children and to the people like to all of us uh, black people especially but really all of us is um, entrepreneurship like we I, I just recently had a conversation with my own kids telling them like I wanted to make sure that they knew your go- ultimate goal is not to land a really great job you know like that's I mean, or that doesn't have to be, that could be, you know, maybe if you, if that's you, if that's what you want to do, cool. But there's other options where you can go create the really great job. Like you could like, instead of trying to fit yourself into somebody else's mold and somebody else's job description or identity or, or idea or whatever, right. You could just take all the things that make you happy, all the things that you're really good at and create a business around that and go do you. And I just, I wish I had known that that was a possibility. And the way that this connects for me with racism in schools is that, I mean, too often, especially with our black and brown kids, we are just teaching them to be employers. We're just teaching them to fulfill somebody else's dream. It's, it's the same thing about being on the plantation. Like that was not our dream to cultivate these, this land and grow this, this fucking cotton, right? That was not our dream. That was somebody else's dream. And we were cogs in that machine. And I feel like we're still the schools still perpetuate that we still that we still perpetuate it like it's it's um it's embedded like go get a good job go get a good go get a good this go get a good that it's always go get it instead of go create it i don't want to go get nothing i want to go create it i want to sit right there where i'm at and create the perfect opportunity for me and the other thing that i can speak to from my own experience is that We tend to punish those who don't want to follow. Like if you don't want to get the crummy job that you hate every day and just do that for 30 years straight and do what quote unquote you know, everybody else is doing, then something's wrong with you, right? Like we, we question people who question authority or we question people who question status quo or we question people who say like, well, no, that, I don't want to do it that way. And I'm speaking from my, my own experience. I've always been somebody who's been like, nah, like, <laughs> like the minute you tell me like, that's the only way to do it, or I can't do it the way I planned on doing it. Like you just, 
you have you, you you've spoken into existence just by telling me I can't do it. Like that's all I'm about now. That's all I'm about now. I remember in ninth grade, my biology teacher wanted us to do a bug collection, right? Oh, good God. You had to go out and collect like 20 bugs, some some ridiculous amount of bugs. It was like 20 to 50 uh, bugs. You were supposed to put them in a jar with a piece of cotton soaked in like nail polish remover and wait for the bug to die. Uh, inhumane, not doing that. And then you're supposed to pin the bug, supposed to pin the bug in some precise way, some super like detailed Virgo way that I just, I was like, I'm not doing it. None of, like, none of this appeals to me. And it was one of those horrendous assignments that you required executive functioning, right? Where it's like you do it over the course of six weeks and you're supposed to like plan your, plan your life. Um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm 14 years old. Do you think I'm going to like backwards map how to do your stupid bug collection? I don't want to do this. That is so gross. I can't believe I have to have to be like me and bugs have to interact for six weeks and you want me to interact with them after they're dead like the whole thing was just like oh hell no right like just every part of my body was like this is not happening and of course it was a gazillion points and like your grade depended on it right and I remember like I heard from other schools that they they would offer the opportunity to do um like a flower collection or a leaf collection if you didn't want to do the bug collection so I was like I should at least be able to be like that's that's inhumane right like I I, I I couldn't pretend to like I cared about bugs, right? Like, I'm not killing those bugs. But um, my teacher was like, no, right? He's like, no, I'm not gonna let you. Um, I can still see his face. I think his name was Mr. Hughes. I don't know if that's that maybe I have the wrong teacher, but um he's like, no, like if you don't do this bug collection, like you're not gonna pass my class. And if you don't pass my class, you're not gonna graduate, right? And I was like, oh, oh, okay, you're gonna try to back me into a corner, you're gonna try to dangle my whole like livelihood, like my you know, because that because when you're a kid, like you're you're made to believe that, like, oh my god, if I don't graduate, like oh, I'm just gonna shrivel up and die. I'm gonna live in a trash can, like Oscar the Grouch. So um I was like, no, you are not going to try to tell me that if I don't do this nasty collection, like, I, it's just that things aren't going to work out for me. So anyway, um, I know you can always already tell them more of the story. I didn't do the bug collection. I didn't do the nasty bug collection. No, I did not, Mr. Hughes. And guess what? I still graduated. Look at me now, Mr. Hughes. Look at me now. And so that's, that's my attitude. And that's been my attitude, right? But throughout my life, that's gotten me in trouble right? I've gotten in trouble for that. Like, ooh, you didn't do the bug collection or ooh, you didn't do whatever else they told you to do or ooh, right? But the reason why is because I wasn't supposed to be, I wasn't supposed to be following. The reason why I can't follow, right? Like the reason why I'm hard to, I'm hard to uh, lead or whatever is because I'm not supposed to be following you. I'm supposed to be doing my own thing. I'm not supposed to be working all these jobs where I was just like, I can't be here. I cannot drive one more day to your stupid place of work and, 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 and sell my, I cannot do it. I can't do it. I'm out. All those times I did that. And people were like, what the hell are you doing? Oh my God, you have kids. Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, what's going on with you? Went to I knew what the hell I was doing. I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be doing my own thing. And that wasn't like, it took me so long to entertain that that's even possible because we don't tell this to our kids. And we don't know it as a community. Like, we are sitting there selling our souls, getting our weaves, you know, like, like, like checking our identity and our cultural heritage at the door, you know, dumbing down or our, our, our trying to, to, to reduce our accents, um, just just giving up who we are as a people, trying to, quote unquote, 
fit in and be a culture fit and assimilate when we could be creating not only our own path, but here's the other beautiful part, people. You create opportunities for other people. I can, I'm creating opportunities for other black women. I'm going to be putting money in their pocket, right? Giving opportunities for them to showcase their talents. Like you, all those people that I know that are brilliant, that are being hated on and ignored, I can offer them employment. That's the beauty about being an entrepreneur. Like it is, it's insane. And what, and what's sad is it took me, and I'm not mad about it, but it took me so long. And of course it took me so long. Like who told me this, right? My racist little high school wasn't trying to tell me I could just create my own business, right? And that's, if you think about like the the model of the plantation, it's like, why would they tell you this, right? Like white America and white supremacy um, and the powers that be have benefited from us just being the cogs of the machine or us just being the workhorses and never us expanding and doing our own thing, right? That's not and, and, and when you want to look at it from a historical perspective, you know, when Black people were expanding and doing their own thing after we were released from enslavement and our hostage situation um, and during Reconstruction, and we started to do things like Black Wall Street or have all these communities where we're thriving and we're, you know, um, Black men at the time had a, briefly had the right to vote and were able to be held, hold political office. When we started doing our darn, doing the damn thing and wearing our nice clothes and, you know, thriving, that's when white people retaliated. That's when the NRA and the KKK formed and lynching skyrocketed, right? That's when, that's when white supremacy was really in its heyday. So we, we get to do what the hell we want to do. And to all the educators out there, oh my God, the freedom that I have as an entrepreneur versus what I experienced as an educator, as when I was a teacher in the classroom, it just does not compare. When I was saying these same things as a teacher, it put my job at risk. And now it's going to put my kids through college. It does not compare. I am free. I get up in the mornings and like, I don't, I don't work until I feel like it. I work when I feel like it. I go for walks. You know, I visit my friends. Like I, I'm not on anybody's clock, but my own, I take whatever days off I want to take. Like it, it is the freedom, the freedom. I cannot explain how good it feels to work on your own terms. And, and the, and here's the other thing, the other feeling that I, I just can't emphasize enough. When you know that you can make your own money, like literally like create your own money, just create workshops, create opportunities, create value for people. And then you just go sell that, you know, like there's no feeling like that. I, re- I remember just being on a salary. I'm just being like, Oh, just like, you, you can't, how can you get ahead? You can't get ahead because it's the same money every week. You're not in control of how much you make, right? There is, there's a cap on, on what you, what you make. And you have somebody else who's going to tell you your value. Somebody who's probably been trained to not see your value. That is just like, that's a recipe for like mental health issues. And I mean, I feel like a lot of my mental health issues and physical issues came from knowing that I was amazing and incredible and, and also being up against people who are never, who are never going to value that, never going to see that, never going to compensate me for it. Let's be real, right? Like, so I cannot stress enough the importance of teaching our kids the possibility, just the idea that you could have your own business and you could be very successful and like 
You don't have to get caught up. Like one of the things I'll, I don't do is I don't listen to all them stats that's going to try to tell me that I can't have this. And on average, people make that and on, for with their business and, and on average, the average business fails within this many years. The way I feel about it is like, I'm not average. You know what I mean? Like I'm not average. The average person doesn't quit their job without having another job lined up. Right. I, not only did I do that, but then I moved on top of that and I bought a timeshare. Like I did a lot of, a lot of unaverage stuff. Right. Like I, I am an intuitive person. And a lot of time, you know, in this, this society, when you can't point to it, if you can't point to it, it's not real to people, right? Like if I, if I can't point to the job I have lined up after the job I'm about to walk off, then it's not real to people. When I was, when I was guest teaching and Uber driving, though I knew I was working on my dream, I knew what I was doing, right? I knew that the trainings I was going to, I knew how every, every time I guest taught, like how I used that opportunity and how I learned from it. Even when I was Uber driving, I, was, I would be having these deep conversations with my passengers about, you know, race, about, about school. Like it could look to other people like, oh, you ain't doing nothing. You ain't got nothing going on. But it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Right. Like, so all that to say is that when these stats try to be like, oh, the average person, the average business, I don't, I'm not average. The average person stays on their crummy ass job you know, and just, and doesn't, and doesn't walk away despite that their soul, despite the dying, their dying soul, because they're scared. I'm not the average person. And I just, I, educators and, and, you know, A, you have options, you have options and we need to teach our children that they have options too. Um, and that we don't have to compromise our voice. We don't have to compromise our beliefs. We don't have to compromise, you know, how we show up in the world. And not only that, but studies show that marginalized groups, when they, when they accumulate money, they redistribute that money amongst other marginalized groups. That's good for everyone because that's redistribution of wealth, right? The white, white communities already got their wealth, but we're, but we, when we get wealthy, we give that money back. And I can speak to that myself. You know, when I hire people, I'm hiring other people who are marginalized, predominantly black women, people who are, who are people I get identify with, right? The marginalized group I come from or queer, queer black women. Um, I, I'm thinking about, redistributing that money into my communities, right? To serve my people so that we can be uplifted because that's how you do it. And for anybody ignorant enough to be like, that's racist. Uh, white folks keep their money in their community like pretty regularly. Ask somebody, how, ask white folks how often they contribute to like black businesses or how many black businesses they're even aware of. Um, so, just, so it's not about um, racism. It's about redistribution of wealth and the ways that uh, black people have been deprived, you know, business loans, all kinds of opportunities. Um, whew. so yeah, I just want to speak to that and that it is, um, it has not been the easiest road, you know, getting to this point in my business, but it is so liberating. It is so freeing. And now I just, I just want all my friends to get off the plantation. I want everyone to, to know that this is a real possibility and there's, and here's the thing, right? We're so fortunate because there's an abundance, an abundance of free information so much good stuff my god i was just a part of a seven day free um seminar that helps you to be a better coach and helps you to close sales better and it was all it was all online and it was people like lisa nichols and um uh, les brown and uh, jack canefield i mean like like legit successful high vibration people and it was free. It was free. I'm just like, I, I cannot believe, like when you, when you show up and go to these webinars and I know sometimes it's like, we're tired of screens, but like I've learned so much from the plethora 
of free information out there. Like one of the things I learned, I went from 150 people on LinkedIn, I think like January, 2019. Is that correct? Yeah. January, 2019. I had like 150 connections on LinkedIn. I didn't really use it. Didn't really utilize it. I listened to a webinar that talked about how underutilized that platform is, how this one influencer was doing something on YouTube and got like a low amount of views, but took that same video and put it on LinkedIn and it blew up. His career like just skyrocketed. And my friend speculates it's because LinkedIn is boring. So anytime somebody puts something on there, it's like, oh my God. And on the same webinar, they, they said that um, only 1% of the people on LinkedIn create content, meaning most people will just like somebody else's content or don't even post anything, but less than 1% actually post something. So if you post something, you will stand out. You will, you will again, you know, not be the average person, right? The average person doesn't do anything, but you will be of, of the top 1% that is actually drawing attention, right? So this, I learned so much on this little webinar about LinkedIn and now I'm, I'm approaching 7,000, you know, people on LinkedIn. Now, granted, I'm not in it for the followers, but when you're starting a new business, it's certainly helpful for them to, for people to know you exist, right? Like, um, people can't buy from you if they don't know you exist. So I learned that from a webinar, right? Like I, I don't have uh, much on Instagram. I don't have much on Twitter because I didn't go to those webinars. I need to go to those, those webinars next, but the webinar I went to was the one on LinkedIn. So now I got 7,000 people on LinkedIn versus the 150, um, about a year, uh, about two years ago. Um, so, and then the other person that I cannot recommend enough is Rosetta Thurman. She runs Happy Black Woman and she is all about helping black women have a business that you can work from anywhere. And so I invested in her training um, December, I'm sorry, January, 2019. It was a three month training, had 12 modules plus some live coaching. And at the time my mindset wasn't there. And so what I mean by that is that you can have all the tools in the world, right? And, and her her package gave me all the tools in the world. But I was so, I just couldn't see it as a possibility for myself to be somebody who could make bank and to work remotely. And like, I didn't think I was disciplined enough, organized enough. I just had all these reasons why I was not enough and why I couldn't get there. But I still hung in there. And even as I'm kind of like, learning all this new information that I'm like, I'm not even sure what to do with yet, right? I don't even fully understand how this all works, um, but just stuck with it. And, and it took me like a year. Um, it took me like a year to get in the mindset, to accept and to try on this identity of somebody who travels when they want to travel, who works, works, I can work from anywhere. I can create workshops and people buy them, you know, like just, um, just, just, to, just to think that that was a possibility for me, that I didn't have to ever write a freaking resume again, or ever write a cover letter again, or ever have to convince somebody that I'm awesome for this position or I'm the right person for this job. Like never have to tap dance for white folks, essentially, you know, like I can, cause what other, the other thing that held me back from really being my authentic self about like 10 years ago was thinking that if I were this candid, if I were really just like, spoke my mind like I do in my classroom, you know, publicly, what is that going to do to my career? What, what kind of backlash am I going to face? And it really kept me in a position of being inauthentic, which, which really was painful for me because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, authentic. I want to be me. I want to be fully expressed and like, you know, deal with it. Um, 
And so that had me in this limbo of not really putting myself out there. And part of it was because, well, how will this hurt my money, right? How will this hurt like my, my future if I really just showed up fully expressed and spoke my truth? And when you're an entrepreneur, that's, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. You know why? Because I can create money. I can create value. And it's, and the thing is, is that that was always there. I was always creating money and value because I, 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 I've seen, I've seen the reaction to my teaching in the faces of my students. I've seen the reaction of things I've said, you know, in the, in the faces of, of people who are listening. I know I've created value. You know, people have told me how valuable what I create is, but I didn't know how to monetize it. I didn't know how to monetize it. And that's what Rosetta Thurman, Thurman taught me. Uh, she's, she does Happy Black Woman or Rosetta Thurman Consulting. She taught me how to monetize my magic. She even has a little, one of, one of her modules called Monetize Your Magic. Um, and so I was always able to create value, but I didn't believe that I could monetize it. I didn't believe that I, I didn't, I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm just going to do what I know how to do. I'm going to do what I know how to do. And, <clears throat> you know, doing what I knew how to do was going to make me the money I knew how to make. And that wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't enough. So, um, I stepped out of my comfort zone, you know, like the, the first real workshop, online workshop I, I did was uh, Black Wellness in Schools. So I've done other workshops, but this is the first one I did online, right? And just put it out there, like, just going to see what happens. And that workshop did much better than I, than I thought it would. And I'm thinking about making that a series now. Like, and, and it's just like, you just have to go for it. And, and that workshop came out of, I was, I was working with this school. We had gone back and forth. I had given them my proposal. Um, and I was already planning on, you know, what I was going to do for them. And then in the end, they ended up not, not hiring me. And I remember at the time I was like, just frustrated. Like I, I can't serve if schools don't hire me. Right. And so I was like, well, how can I serve anyway? Right. Who do I want to help? I want to help black families. You know, if, if these schools aren't going to decolonize and even the schools I help, I can only help so many during the school year. So it's, you know, there's still schools that need to still have work to do. So it's just like, if they're not going to do what they need to do, well, let me equip the families so that they have what they need so that they can um, fight white supremacy in schools, you know, themselves. So it was from that experience of this school saying no to me that I was like, well, let me, let me create this workshop because I want to serve. And that workshop was really successful and it was really fun and it's it was easy like it wasn't something that that was that required a lot of time for me because I've been doing this work for so long right I've been doing it for so long but um and I got to incorporate you know other experts and other friends and colleagues because I've, I've been in this work for so long right I know I know a lot of brilliant people got to showcase their talents got to put some money in their pockets so you just gotta go for it like I, it, I it's it's a trip manifesting something from an idea, right? Like you're just sketching down notes in a notepad to, to it being birthed, right? And shout out to Mervyn um, Kennedy McCoy, who did the handbook. He did such an amazing job on making uh, the carousel and, and just the functionality and the beauty um, of the handbook is all, is all him, but the content was awesome. Like people really loved the handbook. Um, 
it has a bunch of links and information of uh, recommendations of books to read, um, podcasts to listen to, uh, li- music that's uplifting for for our kids and for ourselves. Um, a, a series of links to, to YouTube as far as his, uh, historical videos, um, stuff about Black people inventions, uh, our inventions, how to deal with the police, etc. Um, pages to follow, um, groups to join. It is a a wealth of information. It turned out much better than I had hoped for. And that is um, a resource that's going to be available to people. And it will be completed. It, it, but the section that we have completed right now is for families. But we have three other sections that will be customized when schools book a consultation with me. So for those of you who consult with me and uh, we end up getting a contract or moving forward with a contract, then we would be able to complete that handbook. But the resource is incredible. And it, I'm going to send a, uh, put a link in the, the show show notes. Hopefully I will actually <laughs> do that. But if you really um, want a copy of it, send me an email at healingracisminschools at gmail.com, healingracisminschools at gmail.com. Um, and for those of you who know that your school needs help, this is the time that you're going to want to reach out to me. Things are starting to get busy, but I am conducting professional development for schools. I currently have a three-part series. I want to make it comprehensive. The first part is called Check Yourself, and that's about identity. So too often, um, our teachers, especially our white teachers, are disconnected from the fact that they're white and that that has meaning in a society that is that is built on white supremacy. And so we need to be mindful of our identity. We need to know who we are, where we come from, our culture, and and to be thoughtful about that and to not walk into the classroom believing that our experiences or everybody's experiences or what we think is, you know, common sense is just, um, you know, what, what should be common sense for everybody. So really exploring identity and what that means in our society and how that plays out in the classroom and what biases we bring into the classroom. And I'll, I'll speak to myself. Um, yes, I'm a, I'm a queer black woman, but I grew up middle class. So I have classist attitudes at times where I'll, I'll make assumptions about students based on my experiences growing up with money or having resources, not realizing that some of our students are, are, are housing insecure or clothing insecure or food insecure or have other other concerns that I am ignorant to, right? So so we need to explore the piece about identity and really think about who we are and then how we like what kind of culture we create in the classroom based on who we are. And then in what ways does that culture, you know, support all of our students and what ways is it, it does it diminish um, our students or or make our classroom even, you know, a hostile environment. So identity is the first piece. And that is a either a half day or full day training, depending on um, the schedule with the school. And then the next piece is check your curriculum. I remember the first time my son came home singing some song about Columbus. And I was just like, oh, we don't do that here. You know, and just and just even though as much as I wanted to protect him and, and teach the truth in my home, that society was going to teach him the myths and, and some of the <laughs> the uh, the 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 parts of the parts of our curriculum that are uphold white supremacy that are just you know racist and ignorant so we need to be mindful of our curriculum we need to think about the ways that we center whiteness um when we make white and people synonyms and, and that's often the case right when you watch the news and they'll say like oh a person did da, 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 like usually they mean a white person and when it's somebody of color they'll mention their eth- ethnicity when we make white and person 
similar, then you could be in a math class and just say like, well, a person invented this and people are automatically going to assume, well, that's a white person, right? So even while you're not mentioning race at all, the it's going to default on a well, white person, you know, created this. And, and there's ways that within our curriculum, we often see it within English and, and, and history pretty easily, the racism or the ways that we center whiteness or the way that our books are from a white perspective or white narrative, but we often don't see it with math and, and science. But we see that the results of that is that when we look at where I'm at, you know, Silicon Valley, where there's all these giant um, uh, technology, tech, tech, um, giant tech centers, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook and uh, et cetera, um, we see that that's mostly men and that's mostly, you know, cisgender, white or Asian men. So that's a problem, right? Or we see that, you know, when it comes to uh, finances or, or money management or stocks, again, that's men. So, so that's, that, that, that's a problem. So we can't pretend as though STEM doesn't also need to address um, issues of racism. In addition to science has been used to justify racism and the oppression of, of people uh, for decades, for, for centuries. Um, and there's a number of, like anytime you're discussing something within science, you could be you could be highlighting the contributions of a marginalized uh, person who's also contributed to that field. So for example, we often talk about, you know, Einstein, oh, you're an Einstein, or Einstein, like I'm the Einstein, but George Washington Carver was one of the most brilliant scientists that ever lived. Why don't we start throwing around his name, right? It, 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 to, it, to mean um, somebody who's super intelligent or innovative. Um, so there's all kind of ways that we could be doing better and STEM and, you know, STEM disciplines are not off the hook. So anyway, check your curriculum is about really exploring our curriculum and, and looking at the ways that we center whiteness and looking at the ways that we can do better as far as um, centering the experiences of marginalized communities, especially Black and Indigenous um, communities when it comes to the United States. And then the third component is called um, check your staff and students. And this is about the psychological and physical safety of our Black students and our, and our other students of color and, and our staff as well as working with our white staff and students and other um, other staff and other students and recognizing anti-blackness um, in our culture and our language and that things like when a kid is called the n-word it is not the equivalent of being called like a dummy or being called stupid there is a historical uh, historical violence associated with that word and that word needs to be taken seriously and a lot of times it's not we don't we take the psychological safety of our black kids for granted we don't we don't have ways for them to safely process their trauma and then we expect them to go you know do well on these standardized tests that are, don't mean anything to them so it's it's a problem and then we also say we want more black and brown staff but then we don't think about how do we set them up to again not be safe i mean i had one high school I worked at, I had so many health problems that I now know were related to stress because it was such a hostile environment for me. And I wanted to be there because I was one of very few black faces. But at the same time, it's like being there was taking was taking years off my life. And I didn't want that. Right. So like that's the school was like, I'm sure they were happy when they hired me and that they could diversify. But they did not create a space that felt healthy for me to be in. And eventually I had to go. And that was often my experiences, you know, trying to be the black teacher in these spaces where they obviously needed black teachers and the work I was doing was important, but at what cost, you know, when I can barely even afford health insurance or like there was times when like I would even have had health insurance, I couldn't afford the copay, like being a teacher and having to 
make those types of decisions. Like maybe I should go get this chest pain looked at, or maybe I should, you know, like, I don't know, that's a $40 copay. Like that's sad. And as an entrepreneur, I don't have to make that decision anymore. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. Um, that's the three part series, check yourself, check your curriculum, and then check your staff and students. And that is available as professional development. So the school I'm working with right now, we're going to be doing that over the course of six months. And then from there, when schools talk to me, we do a consultation, we figure out what else do you need? So one school I was working with, they wanted to do more direct um, work with their students. So some of their their clubs on campus, they wanted to uh, create programs for them. Another school wanted to focus more on programs for their parents and having more of a direct connection um, with the staff and the parents. So it all depends on the needs of the school. But what I know for sure is, is that we cannot continue to pretend that this is nothing short of urgent. Eradicating white supremacy from our schools has always been urgent. It's always been urgent. And too often our schools want to say, you know, we'll, we'll do it later. It's not a good time. We, we know, we're in crisis. It's a pandemic. Like there's always an excuse as to why we don't get started. And how long are we going to be making excuses? And how long do you think people are going to be satisfied with excuses, right? Before people say, you know, I have options. I, there's other things, there's other ways to go about getting this this resolved. Um, so schools need to need to act, right? A lot of us got behind the whole Black Lives Matter movement and put up our signs and, you know, blacked out our faces and did all kind of symbolic uh, symbols of solidarity. But the proof is, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like you have to, you have to put action behind that. You have to actually put resources behind that. That's the other thing is that um, there was a school that I was going to work with and I was going to be training over 200 people and that they didn't want to pay for it. You know, it's like, Training over 200 people to do anti-racism work over the course of, of, of 12 months or the course of, I'm um, sorry, nine months, you have to have a budget for that. Just like you would have a budget for anything else. If it was any other type of program, you would have a budget set aside to make that happen. And so when you don't have the resources for it, you are again saying that this is not important to me. It's not a priority to me. It doesn't matter. And it's it breaks my heart to think that anybody in education would have that attitude knowing knowing what it costs black kids or other, and other kids of color, knowing that for us, it is life or death, knowing that for us, the jail is waiting, not because we do more crime, but because it's always been more convenient and more pro- extremely profitable for this country to put us behind bars. It's the way that you, we can keep legal slavery. So I highly recommend that you contact me. So again, you can contact me at healingracisminschools at gmail.com. Um, I also you can join my Facebook group, The Anti-Racist Educator, Fighting White Supremacy in Schools. And I will have a, another workshop on December 19th. I'm thinking it's either going to be um, another Black Wellness in Schools workshop or it's going to be um, one, it's going to be one about um, Check Your Identity that I might do with my fellow anti-racist, Chad uh, Zitherman. So stay tuned. You can follow me on Instagram or on Facebook, and I will definitely do another podcast before then to let you know which idea I'm going with. But on December 19th, I will be doing another workshop. Um, just not sure which one. So thank you for 
um, being such a faithful listener. I hope that all of you are taking action. Like it's not enough just to listen to my podcast, y'all. You can't just be listening like, oh, let's just see what she talks about today. No, you need to be actually reading the books or doing the things, challenging yourself, challenging your own anti-blackness or racism or bigotry or whatever is coming up in you. And don't beat yourself up about it. We're all going to make mistakes. We will continue to make mistakes. That's fine, right? Like mistakes will be made, um, but continue to do the work. We cannot just let up just because Biden was elected or Harris was elected. They are not perfect. They both said some things that I was just like, "Mm, really? Um, we're not done. The work continues. So thank you so much for being such faithful listeners. Cause I know I, I'm going to be more consistent y'all, if, you know, it is coming. Um, and until then, until justice is real, this has been Charlotte Stevens and the ancestors signing off with healing racism in schools. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.